Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. As an artist delights in their work, as a father delights in his child, as a shepherd delights in his sheep, so God delights in you. In Luke 15, we come to these three famous parables, these three famous stories, a lost sheep, a lost coin, two lost sons. As I read through Luke's gospel, if you just read it straight through, I experienced these stories like, like I experienced halftime as a soccer player. This, it's just a refreshing break after a period of great intensity. So if you read through the gospel, think about what's just come before the story. Luke 12 says, Jesus is saying things like, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear the one who has authority to cast into hell. Luke 13, Jesus literally says, repent or perish. Last week, Luke Elmer's wonderfully guided us through Luke 14, where Jesus says these disorienting words about hating one's own family, even one's own self, and bearing the cross to be Jesus' disciple. Chapter 15, then, comes as a bit of a reprieve. This intense call to discipleship just pauses a little bit, and we get this, like, halftime team talk from Jesus. It's a reminder why we are out there to begin with. Why are we doing this intense discipleship at all? You know, why fear God? Why repent? Why bear the cross? Because as an artist delights in their work, as a father delights in their child, as a shepherd their sheep, so God delights in you. It's the heart of these parables. So let's look at this in Luke 15, especially at the first seven verses, the parable of the lost sheep. I basically want to invite us to feast on this passage with a three-course meal. So let's take each in turn. The first course, the lostness of the sheep, which reminds us how sinful we are. The second course, the rescue of the shepherd, which reminds us how valuable we are. And then lastly, the joy of heaven, which reminds us what we must do. So let's begin with the lostness of the sheep. Beginning as one does... At the beginning, in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around Jesus. So try to picture this scene in your mind's eye. The tax collectors and sinners are all gathered around Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So they're off kind of turned muttering to themselves. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this is very critical context. Keep this scene in mind as you're reading these next parables. Remember, Jesus is telling these stories in direct response to the Pharisees mumbling and their muttering and their grumbling. What are they grumbling about? About Jesus breaking bread with tax collectors and sinners. Can you believe it? Because to share a meal with someone in this day, it's more like a, a long, warm embrace it has that kind of intimacy than like a, hand, a high five or a handshake. It is an intimate thing to do to share a meal with someone in this day. It's, it's basically saying to someone, you are the kind of person I belong with. You are my people. I accept you into my inner circle. It's the sign of connectedness and fellowship. And so Jesus is saying to the sinners and the tax collectors, you are my people. That's who Jesus is embracing. The sinners. In Luke, the sinners is an umbrella term I've said before. It's a term that includes the blind, the poor, the sick, the outcast, the prostitute, the notoriously ostracized people of society on the margins. Those are the sinners. The tax collectors were, of course, traitors. 
They were Jewish men who had turned their back on their people. They were notorious for collecting far more tax than they should have, for fleecing and extorting and, and cheating, lining their own pockets with, you know, unfair uh, extorted wages from people who really couldn't afford it, and then funding Roman oppression with it. So absolutely hated. Besides, their association with Romans made them unclean, religiously unclean. So t- you know, keep these two groups of people in mind. The proud, socio-religious elite, you know, the people with these, nice and proper, and the ostracized socio-religious outcast. And which group is gathered around Jesus, eating with him? So pause and reflect. Where are you in this scene? If you build this scene in your mind's eye, you see Jesus and the sinners facing him close, huddled around, listening to him, and then the Pharisees are in the background kind of turning their backs and grumbling. Where are you? Well, here's where I think I am, where I think many of us may be. I think I want to see myself as the sinner in this scene, because I know, after all, I'm sinful. Uh, I know I need Jesus' grace. I know I've been invited to eat at Jesus' table with him. And yet, what happens when my place at the table becomes a source of pride? And I begin to look around and think to myself, ah, I'm at the table, and I've got the real Jesus, because after all, I'm not like them. Who is them? For older Christians, maybe, who grew up in the heyday of the culture wars, maybe they are liberals. You know, how scandalous it is to think that Jesus wants to break bread with these pagans. Or maybe for younger Christians today, they are like stodgy fundamentalists. How scandalous it is that Jesus wants to break bread with these kind of racists or, you know, whatever the stereotype is. Is there a grumble in your heart, in your soul, over Jesus' insistence on breaking bread with sinners, with them? Is there a complaint in your heart that is maybe rooted in some pride that has you feeling superior? I mean, to like anyone. Then who are you in this parable? If like me, you perhaps are willing to see that in some ways you're more like the Pharisees than you had hoped, what, what do you do about that? What do you need? I think what you need is a reminder about who you really are. And so I'm going to give that to you this morning. The Bible says over and over again that you are like sheep. Over and over and over and over again, it calls you sheep. And here I often quote, and we'll quote again, my Old Testament professor, Dr. Laniac. He lived amongst Bedouin uh, shepherds in the Middle East for a year, and then he wrote extensively about his experience. In one interview with a lifelong shepherd about the nature of shepherding, here's what one shepherd says. He says, even the hardy sheep are susceptible to braxy. I don't even know what that is. Pulpy kidney. Don't know what that is either. Staggers. Pneumonia. Pastorella. Twin lamb disease. Cancer. Hypothermia in winter, maggots in summer, scab, foxes, crows, and dogs. They push their heads through fences and get stuck. They climb trees to pick foliage and get hung by their horns or their legs. They fall down banks. They get bitten by snakes, stung by wasps. They tumble into ponds and streams. They gorge themselves on ash leaves. They starve. They freeze. They get depressed. They fall ill. But a good shepherd can counter every affliction. So prone to wonder, as we are, 
We are the lost sheep in this parable Jesus tells, you and I. And when the Bible calls us sheep, we now understand it is not a compliment. Sheep are well known to follow the tail in front of them off a cliff, literally. I mean, do you ever just pause in life and pick up your head a little bit and realize, wow, how did I get here again? How did I get to this desert of bitterness or of anger or of greed or of lust or of sloth, of addiction, of complaining, of grumbling, of ungr- of How did I get here again in my soul? I can't believe I'm here. It's because you're sheep. You are sheep. That's the bummer news before the good news. You're worse than you think you are. We heard it read this morning in, in the words of St. Paul, foremost of sinners. That's us. The ironic truth is the closer you get to God, the more aware of this you actually become. It's as if the nearness of God's glory to your heart, it lights up your soul, kind of like a windshield aimed at the sun. When the windshield is aimed at the sun, you see all the spots and the bugs and the nastiness, right? The closer you get to God, the more you see it. Whereas the Pharisees, the proud, their backs are turned, they're headed away from the sun, they think they're clean and they're not. But you're sheep. You got all kinds of diseases. You're broken. So now you have a choice, really. What are you going to do with this truth? What are you going to do with this news? You have two choices. You can be humbled by it or you can be insulted by it. That's your choice. The invitation this morning is to not let this insult you, but to let it humble you. So that you don't look out there in the world and say, thank you, God, that I am not like them or them, but that I'm here at your table with the real G. Who's them for you? Again, think about it. Who is it that you're tempted to look down upon? Remember your sheep. You're no better off. Now, here's why you can be humbled instead of insulted. Look what happens next, beginning in verse 4 of Luke 15. Look at the rescue of the shepherd. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, Jesus says, and he loses just one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, the answer is no. Right? Why would he do that? I mean, isn't that irresponsible a little bit? I mean, some people would would say, at least, that seems irresponsible. You've got 99 perfectly good sheep. You've got one little lost sheep over here. Just let, don't worry about it. You still got the 99. Don't leave the 99 vulnerable to pray to go after the one. That's irresponsible. But to think this way is to eviscerate the love of God. It's to misunderstand who he is. It's to turn his love into a calculation instead of a compulsion. God is not a calculating God. He loves you compulsively. One of the reasons we love great stories, I think, Lord of the Rings, for example. Is the great stories reassure us that life is not reducible to just cold calculation, just this random collision of particles. Life and love is meaningful. It is a drama wherein not one sword stroke falls or, or man proposes or hair grows or sheep wanders without meaning and significance to God. When last year my little sheep Levi fell prey to a wolf who attacked him in the front yard, there was no calculus in my loving response. There was an immense clarity, an overwhelming compulsion of heart, rescue, 
rescue at all costs. And that is the heart of God. The point of the story is not to make you wonder about the 99 left behind and, oh, was this a good decision? The point is that God compulsively, overwhelmingly, madly loves you. And when he looks at you and he sees you wandering and going astray, he thinks, rescue, rescue at all costs. Because you are the one sheep. You are, I am, everyone is the lost sheep. That's why you can be humbled instead of insulted. Because you're sheep, yes, but you're his sheep. And what happens when the 99 sheep see their shepherd go after the one? They think to themselves, well, if he does it for them, he'll do it for me. Right? Or the opposite. If the sheep see and they, they see one sheep wandering off and the shepherd takes a good long look at him and he just shrugs his shoulders and he's like, oh, I got the 99. What do they think? he's not going to do it for him, I don't know if he's going to do it for me. So there's an irony here in that the one sheep being the shepherd going after the one lost sheep, the 99 feel safe and protected. It's amazing, though, how valuable something becomes when it belongs to the right person. So again, the bummer news, you're sheep, but you belong to him. Uh, A fake nail fell off Lady Gaga's finger at a concert in 2012. It sold on eBay for $13,000. In 2006, a piece of toast was left half-eaten by Justin Timberlake. It sold for $3,000. Scarlett Johansson's once uh, used tissue once sold for $5,000. This is true. Uh, Rihanna's once, uh, sorry, Rihanna once signed a uh, shattered iPhone, so an iPhone screen that was shattered, but she wrote her name on it. It sold for $66,000. So God knows you're a sheep. He knows you're more dysfunctional on your own than a shattered iPhone. He knows you're all cracked up with sin and jealousy and comparison and insecurity and ingratitude and anger and intemperance. You are more sinful than you think you are. And he claims you as his own. And he writes his name on you. As I read verse 5 and 6 now, I want you to imagine the scene in your mind's eye. There you are, you're wondering, you're shattered, you're sick, you're sinful. Think maybe even of something that you're carrying this morning that has you feeling that way, broken, ashamed. And then, Jesus says, the shepherd finds you. And he joyfully puts you on his shoulders. And he goes home. He doesn't come and rebuke you. He doesn't come harshly to the sheep. He comes and joyfully puts you on his shoulders, and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. So don't be insulted that you're a sheep. Be humbled because Jesus really, really, really loves his lost sheep. He loves them compulsively. And so when he sees you, his heart is fixed with concern on your value. Rescue, rescue at all costs. Not because you're pure, not because you're spotless, not because you're staying in line. No, because you are his. He knows your wandering heart. And that's actually very comforting, by the way. The fact that God knows your sheep is very comforting. I had a spiritual director once tell me, Jordan, God is not disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions about you to begin with. It's actually very comforting. You're more sinful than you think you are, more valuable to God than you can possibly imagine. Now, okay, this is an ironic truth, and it gives us the basis to live with two things in mind. On the one hand, it humbles us deeply. And like I've said, it causes us to refuse to look down on them, to think we're better than anybody else. We're sheep too. 
That's the one hand. It gives us a great humility. On the other hand, it gives us a great stability and security. That our value is fixed, our ransom is paid. Two wonders here now that I confess we sometimes sing, my worth and my unworthiness. Gives us humility and value. You're priceless because you're his. Okay, now, last course of the meal. What must we do to be rescued? Let's look at what the sheep actually does. Jesus ends this little parable in verse 7 by saying, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So there it is, the R word, repent. See, and you say, Jordan, we must do something to receive this rescue, right? Repent. Well, you're right. Yes. Repentance is precisely what we must do to receive this rescue from the shepherd. But that's just it. Look at what repentance looks like in this parable. Repentance in this parable is Jesus joyfully finding a helpless sheep, putting it on his shoulders, and then going home. What does the sheep do? I mean, he doesn't run away from the shepherd, I guess. He doesn't, like, bite him when he comes close. How's that for a definition of repentance? Repentance! Not running from Jesus when he joyfully puts you on his shoulder and brings you by his power to safety. Truthfully, that's one way to think about repentance. You know, repentance literally means to turn your heart and your mind from one course of action and direction to another. But who really does the turning? Who powers this process? Repentance is cooperating with the direction Jesus is taking you. Repentance is cooperating with the direction Jesus is taking you. What is yours to do? And you must cooperate. That is what's yours to do. It's to receive this rescue, to stop kicking against the shepherd's grip, to stop insisting you know better, to stop following the stinky tail in front of you off a cliff. Remember Dr. Laniac's words, a shepherd can counter, a good shepherd can counter every affliction. Not all remedies are pleasant. Not every countering of our affliction is, many, many of you nurses and doctors, you know this, that sometimes the solution requires some unpleasantness. Some remedies are painful. Cooperating with Jesus can actually be quite hard. But one way to preach cooperation and repentance to your own heart is to remember what this passage says, to think about the joy of heaven that is waiting to welcome you home. Over and over again, we read it three or four times in this passage, the joy, the joy, the joy. That's the closing chapter of your story. As you cooperate with the sometimes painful process of repentance, there is a joy awaiting you. You get a foretaste of it now. You know the satisfaction of cooperating with Jesus now. But one day you will be welcomed home. Great joy. So God delights in you. This is the halftime talk. God delights in you as an artist, his work. As a father, his child. As a shepherd, his sheep. That's the halftime team talk. The call to discipleship is intense. It's very intense. But Why fear God? Why repent? Why bear the cross? Because you're more sinful than you think you are, and you're more precious than you can imagine, and you're bound for heaven that awaits to receive you home with rejoicing. Father, I pray you would help your words sink into our hearts, that you would bring conviction and help us see in light of your holiness how much like sheep we are, and that would bring a great humility of hearts to us. You would call us away from the, the proud muttering and, and grumbling. And you would help us to just see people like you see them as fellow sheep in need of saving. And that you would just rise up in gratitude for this rescue in us.
May we just live in this gratitude that you have saved us. Give us endurance as we await this great joy of heaven and home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.